Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this leadership episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Frog, and I'm here with my host, Mark Casaglo. And today we have someone who is part of the Familia Casaglo. We have the one and only Rebecca Faiton. She is Director of Enterprise Sales over at Sixth Sense. And holy smokes, Mark indeed does know how to hire amazing leadership talent. Mark, why should people listen? You like it a sauce, Armand? You like it a sauce? Yes, that's what Rebecca brings today is the sauce. All right. And I think you're going to hear several things from one of the legendary sellers in outreach of all time, who is probably one of the top 1% of top 1% of sales talents and leadership talents that I've ever gotten the pleasure to work with. And I think you're going to see in this episode, she's so tactical. She understands what she's doing so well, and she's so good at explaining it. And like, I think at one point, Armand, like I was ready to buy something from her, and I didn't even know she was selling. So, <laughs> Mark, I think we know what she was selling. She was selling the sauce. And a three, a two, a one. Let's ride. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. All right, Rebecca, welcome to the show. We start every leadership show with your top three actionable takeaways. Let's get your three. All right. So the first one, I think, focused on coaching. 
one of the biggest challenges is getting your reps to have hard conversations. One of the things that I would coach your reps to do is include that difficult conversation in their upfront contract at the beginning of a call. It forces them to have it, right? So they can't back out at the 10 yard line. They've got to go and execute. And the way that I would coach that is before any meeting, I would role play it with the rep. Hey, give me your upfront contract. How are you going to position this tough conversation that we have to go have? Outline what you need to accomplish and then get agreement from all the people on the call for that tough conversation up front. So an example of this could be, hey, today we want to talk you through our platform. We've put together a customized demo for you. And then we'll talk through what an evaluation plan looks like. We want to co-author that together. 10 minutes before five o'clock when we need to be wrapped up, I'll make sure that we stop to get alignment on next steps. And if everything goes well, I want to sign post now that we'll be asking if your CRO will sign off on that evaluation plan. Boom. I'm ready to tackle the deal. What's number two? So I can't take credit for this. I actually worked for Sam McKenna of Sam Sales very early on in my sales career. And this takeaway is, so what? So when Sam was my leader, she would so what me absolutely to death to the point where I would show up to these calls so prepared so that I could try to catch her out instead. So when you're coaching your reps or doing deal reviews, all you have to do is ask the question, so what, until they don't have the answer and that's what they need to go and find out. So an example of this would be someone says they have a pipeline challenge. They can't hit their numbers. So what? Someone might get fired. So what? You got to go find out how big is the problem? What will actually happen, right? They can invest in the product. So an easy one to get your rep to dig into pain. So what's number three? Around negotiation. So not all reps are great at negotiating. And one of the things that has really helped my teams in the past is understanding what are all the levers that they have at their disposal and then encouraging them to negotiate before you ever present commercials. So you push your reps to get on a call with the economic or executive buyer at the end of a cycle or mid-cycle when you're ready to talk commercials and have them push all of these levers at our disposal. We can talk unit costs, total cost of ownership, billing terms, term length, and timing. These are things that matter to my organization. What matters most to you, Mr. or Mrs. Prospect? It then gives them the opportunity when this person says, hey, unit cost matters most to us to go and make the ask of, okay, great. So you'd be open to a 36 month contract. I think that those are three hot tips, but I want to go back to the very first one, Rebecca. And I want to explore that upfront contract, like that starting in the agenda with the friction that you want to get to. How do you get somebody comfortable with that? How do you get a rep to deliver that in a strong way where it doesn't seem controversial or adversarial or negative in some way? How are you coaching a rep to deliver? Hey, bring this up right at the beginning. So I think it's not comfortable for a lot of people. So I think the first thing that you could do is ask them to role play it to you multiple times, right? How would you position this to me in a way that starts to make you feel more comfortable? Ultimately, I think it's the practice that solidifies it because what they start to learn is most executives actually care that you won't waste their time. So if you signpost that you're going to ask that question versus trying to catch them out with it at the end of the meeting, it's more uncomfortable. 
right? The reaction you typically get is, I don't know, I'm not prepared for that. We're not there yet. Versus forcing the objection puts you in the seat of power. If they have a problem with that topic, they will tell you right away, you're ready to address it head on. You're not on the back foot. You have more power in that scenario. So it's funny, we talked to our buddy KD and he's like, practice, practice. And he's talking about practice and just taking that one thing and doing it over and over and over again. It sounds like that's a big deal for you with reps. Listen, say it to me, how you're going to say it to your reps. Not good enough. Do it again. Not good enough. Do it again. Are you getting there? Come on, keep going, keep going. I like, how's that session go? Are you just like machine gunning them? Do it again, do it again, do it again. I think a lot of it is just, we know the tone. We know what we have to accomplish with tone. Because for some of these things, 90% of it is deliver it with confidence without confrontation to your earlier point, Mark. How do I say this as this is an obvious expectation of this discussion without it seeming confrontational? And the practice is actually more about their delivery than the content. How do they say it with enough confidence that it sounds like, of course, Rebecca, yeah, yeah, we're going to do that. As opposed to, you want to talk to my CRO, why? I'm the buyer, I'm the champion, I'm the mobilizer. It's so funny. I've met two sellers in my career that were masters at asking the uncomfortable questions. One of them is a seller I worked with for a long time named Pleasant Rich, who was one of the legends at Outreach. And the other one is Rebecca. And they had this innate ability to ask a shitty question in a non-shitty way. Like most of us are going to like create that backlash of emotion or that defensiveness, but they seem to have unlocked how to do this. I'd love to like just package how you're coaching people to do this, Rebecca. I think this is a superpower that you have of, hey, I don't want you to feel like I'm jumping over you. I don't want you to feel like it, but we do have to address this if this is actually an evaluation that we want to get done or not, right? So do you have a framework that you help people with? Is it just a conversation? Like, how are you coaching people to have that superpower you have? I think so much of it is framing. And I think if you wanted to wrap it in like a topic, it's that empathetic selling if you can put yourself in someone else's shoes and make them feel like you're on the same team, then you're not trying to get one over on them. I was actually just coaching one of my reps on an eval plan that we're trying to co-author with an SVP and he doesn't want to be sold to. And the way that we discussed that was, hey, we don't understand your process. We only understand ours. And we can explain to you why we think our process works, but this evaluation plan isn't us pushing our process on you. We co-author it with you so that we understand your process as part of that as well. And if something that we want to do doesn't work for you, we just need to understand why. Damn, I want to buy from her right now, Armand. I don't know about you. What are you selling? What I got? What are you slanging? (laughs) (laughs) Could be anything. Market sold. So Rebecca, there's clearly this style that you have that is merging, asking the hard, uncomfortable questions, pulling the uncomfortable questions into your upfront contract, prepping your reps in your deal reviews to go into those meetings battle tested. I'm curious when you think about the different rhythms that you have to instill this style into your team, are you doing this as part of your onboarding program? Are you doing this as part of your pipeline reviews? Are you doing weekly team deal reviews or tape reviews? How do you make sure that this concept of asking the hard questions isn't just a concept that's living in your head, but it gets into the heads of all of your different reps as well? 
I'm really passionate about an operating rhythm. I think our reps should have an operating rhythm. As leaders, we have to have an operating rhythm. I think it drives accountability, but to your point, Armand, also consistency. So we all know what our week looks like, how we'll show up for each other and what the expectations of those meetings are. And I think the way that I structure this for my team is I separate one-on-ones and deal reviews. So one-on-ones for me are about coaching and that's skills coaching and competency coaching. And again, I co-author those coaching plans with reps and deal reviews are about Hey, where are we at to sales process? But also what's our strategy? Let's game plan it. Deliver that to me and I'll give you my like best case, worst case reaction and then practice overcoming those objections. What will you say next? So let's talk about this a little bit more because Mark, I know you have the same thing where you're like, you need a separate meeting to check in on the person versus beat up a bunch of deals. And I 100% agree. You cannot combine a pipeline interview and, oh, I know your dog is sick. How's your dog doing as well as all of your deals? And so let's talk about the one that isn't talking about the dog for just a second, Rebecca. You're going through all these different deals and you're like, I want my rep to come to me with their worst commit, best yada yada, and their plan, their assessment of where the deal stands. And then I will tell you whether it's red, yellow, or green. Can you tell me what expectations do you have of your reps when they're walking through a deal? In other words, you're telling your team, when you come to a deal review, you have to have X, Y, and Z prepared. What are those X, Y, and Z? So the day before, they have to tell me what deals they want to review. They have to have win strategy documents prepared for each deal we're going to talk about. And if there are any other external stakeholders that need to be part of that, they should be included in that call. And if they don't show up prepared with those things, I won't have the deal review. We'll move it. That's wild. So you said select certain deals, win strategy docs, and then map out key external stakeholders. I'd love to unpack these one by one. When you think about what deals a rep should want to review, my guess is if you just say, tell me which deals you want to review. Some people are like, well, here's a cold call that I got rejected on, or here's a first discovery call that was a two employee company. And then there are other people that are like, this deal's in red lines and it's about to be signed. What is the best practice guidance for which deals I should be bringing to the table when I'm trying to unblock them with my sales leader? So I lead senior reps in enterprise, which means they typically know which deals are most on fire. And that could be a stage one deal where we thought it was going really well and then something's gone off the rails or we're in red lines and all of a sudden... Susan from procurements popped up and we didn't even know she existed. (laughs) I think putting the onus on them to prioritize forces them to be thoughtful about where they actually need to spend their time and mine. So yeah, I think that's the ask. Like we don't have time to talk about every deal every week in a meaningful way. I think it's an important distinction, your audience when you're doing coaching. And Rebecca said something that's really important, which is she works with senior enterprise sellers If you treat a senior enterprise seller like they're a junior SMB seller, you will not be their favorite manager and they will not listen to you and they will not enroll you into their deals in the way that you need to be able to help them. And you're going to start to feel that huge disconnect. And I think that trusting the reps, Rebecca, which sounds like what you've created a relationship where you can trust your reps to know they're going to bring you the deals that matter most, that becomes really important. And I would argue that trust comes from that other meeting, Armand, which is the how's your dog meeting. And I bet you Rebecca doesn't so what people in the how's your dog meeting. How's your dog? Bad. So what? (laughs) (laughs) 
I want to come back to the one-on-one in just a second, because I want to talk about how that meeting is different from the pipe review. You had two other pieces that I think would be just helpful for a lot of the more junior, even the frontline managers to understand. You talked about this concept of expecting that your reps would bring a win strategy doc to the table. And I'm surprised to hear that for enterprise reps. Oftentimes, enterprise reps don't even know how to use sales floors, let alone put together a win strategy doc. And so what is the expectation? What goes inside that? What's the level of detail? How much are you taxing your reps on that specific piece? And what is your expectation for a win strategy doc? So I think it varies by organization. And some people call it an account plan. And my expectation is that you show up to that meeting having done all of your homework. You have a hypothesis about the problems that we can solve. And you haven't had a discovery call because you got access to a C-level executive for your very first discovery call. And that's why we're talking about this opportunity. But you know, if you have had meetings, you've pressure tested that hypothesis, you've validated the things that you believe, and you've started to go get metrics so that We're not just identifying pain. We can actually indicate that pain. And then who are the key players? What's your engagement strategy? For me, the give-get between me and the rep on this is my expectation is that you do that work. And what you can expect from me is I will show up to that hour-long meeting completely prepared to have that discussion. You don't have to give me the nuts to bolts here's how it started and here's where it's going. Like I will do all the legwork of reading all of what you have built ahead of that meeting so we can spend all of the time being as productive as possible. I want to make our way back to the checking in on the dog conversation. This poor dog. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be honest. I kept my one-on-ones really simple and maybe you both have a better way to do it. But at the beginning, it used to be things like look back, look forward. And there are three parts of the agenda. And then eventually I was just like, look, let's have a doc. And my expectation is you come with things that you want to talk about and we'll talk about them. And that's about as far as it went. And that was what my one-on-ones looked like outside of the deal reviews. But I'm curious, what does your structure look like for the checking in on the dog one-on-one? So from my perspective, I think the worst time when you can ask someone how they're doing is at the end of a meeting as an afterthought. (laughs) When you had the whole meeting and then you're like, also, like, how are you good? The only answer is yes, right? Like no one can say, actually, no, do you have 15 more minutes? So that's where I would always start. Hey, before we dig into agenda, how are you? What's going on? How's the wedding planning going? How's the house hunting going? How's your mom? Whatever you know is going on with them. Let them just chat about their weekend. I think that's relationship building and it's trust building that's super important. I agree with you though, Armand, that having people come prepared to that meeting and owning the agenda because it's their meeting is really important. And the only thing that I will own is the actual coaching plan and whatever we agreed to cover in that meeting around that coaching plan. Rebecca, like what percent of that meeting is just you chit-chatting? Like you and I have had many meetings like this. I remember, I don't know, remember what restaurant it was you took me to in London, but we just had this wonderful two-hour meal and chat and everything. But it wasn't structured. There wasn't an agenda. But I think in a meeting like that, you and I got deeper in our relationship and became better friends, better coworkers, better sellers together, better leaders together. So how are you balancing the structure of the conversation with just the, I want to get to know you as a person. I want to be in your life as a friend. I want to make sure that we're working together in a strong way. Like, are you really coming into a call, like going through a, a series of bullets? Or are you really just trying to have a conversation that shows like, hey, I'm a human, you're a human, let's have a human conversation. I think it varies rep by rep. 
Because it comes down to how comfortable the other person is with being vulnerable enough to have that discussion. And I think you showing up, and I think one of the things that I always really valued about our relationship, Mark, is that you're super authentic and you were always very vulnerable, which made me feel like I had permission to do the same. Now, that doesn't work with everyone. Some people are still not comfortable and there'll be some awkward small talk, but they want to get to the things they want to get to, right? I need you to go and block this thing for me. And that's fine. It's their meeting. So I think if you can, the more time you can spend getting to know someone and building relationships and building trust, it serves both of you in the long run. I'm a chit chat person. I just love to chit chat. My one-on-ones where I work with people when I'm not doing deals, because I'll be really regimented on deal stuff. But when it comes time to just create relationship, I just want to chit chat, have fun, laugh. And I think that the key is when you leave the meeting, how does a person feel? Have you thought about how do you want the person to feel? And like for Rebecca, if she's coming up, she's this all-star seller. She comes in gangbusters, multi-million dollar deals at Outreach, number one rep, just crushing everything. We actually had a little rocky period, her and I did one time where we had to have a heart-to-heart talk that helped a ton. But what I always wanted Rebecca to leave my conversations with is I trusted her completely and I was super excited about the unbelievable work that she was doing. And everything else was just noise to me. But like, I wanted to, to know, like, man, I have 110% confidence in you and what you're doing and how you're doing it. And I'm so pumped for you. And I don't know how that ever translated, Rebecca, but that was my intention when I would talk with you one-on-one. To be honest, the way that it showed up for me was that I looked forward to our one-on-ones. And there are one-on-ones with managers where you're like, okay get myself ready for this. What am I going to say? I'll come up with some things, right? Like I got to have an agenda. And I felt like our conversations were no pressure, but because of that, we got into it really quickly. And we probably actually, without setting out to, solved way more problems than we would because we were super comfortable just saying, oh, things are going great. Yeah, yeah, this. Actually, this is a really big problem. It's coming up this and this. Um, back to the wedding that I was at in Boulder, Colorado last week. Yes. So no, I looked forward to those conversations rather than feeling like they were something that I had to endure. My question for you both is you've been on both the giving and the receiving side of the I want to become a manager conversation. So let's say you step into this one-on-one, Rebecca, and I'm sure you've had reps and Mark, I know you've had reps, including Rebecca, who've stepped into a one-on-one and they're like, hey, Mark. I've been thinking about the work that I've been doing, yada, yada, yada. And while I love closing deals, I really want to start pursuing a career in leadership. And I want to figure out what it takes for me to get there. And there are some times when I get that first conversation and it's two months into the role. There are other times where the person's qualified and it's been two years. There are other times where I'm like, okay, let me tell you why it's really bad to be a leader. AK, you should never do this. You would be a horrible manager. Keep closing deals. When a rep comes to you and they're like, hey, I want to be a manager. Mark, I'm actually curious. What did that look like with Rebecca? And how do you handle that initial ask when someone says, I want to be a leader? I don't know if I remember a specific conversation around that. But what I am looking for is, do they know what they're doing? And what I mean by that is, I don't mean like, hey, are they competent? I mean, can Rebecca clearly communicate how she's winning in deals and teach someone else to be able to win like that? 
in their own style, right? And what was very apparent to me early on with Rebecca is she's surgical and knowing what she was doing and why she was doing it and would be able to very succinctly tell you, yeah, I'm doing this and this because of this and this. And I think the other thing is when you're a leader and somebody's asking to be a leader is, are you learning from that person? I was learning from Rebecca and what she was doing in deals all the time. And so I'm like, okay, if I'm learning from her and she knows what she's doing, the obvious next progression is she wants to take on people leadership. And this is something that I think you struggle with, Rebecca, because you're making insane money as a rep and just had the roll down to a science. Like this was a big shift for you to think through. But once I saw those two things, it's just obvious this is the next step if she's willing to take it. The number one trait of a leader is efficacy, the ability to affect change. Can I change someone's mindset, their behavior, their tactics, the way they think, the way that they show up, their energy? Can I change that? If you can't change it, you can't be a leader. And the only way to change something, in my estimation, is, is like, I know how to do this and I can explain why it's good for you to do it this way. And Rebecca, very early on, was helping tons of reps in that way. So it was just a natural progression. Whenever this conversation happened, I don't even remember it, Rebecca, maybe you do. Oh, I remember it. So Rebecca, what's your take on when someone brings this up? Because Mark, I totally agree. The biggest thing that I try to avoid is I think a lot of people go after sales leadership because it's the title, it's the job your mom wanted you to get. I remember my mom was stoked when I decided to go into management. She's great, you're not on commission only sales. I was like, great, thanks, mom. But that's the wrong reason. And oftentimes what I see is that there are a lot of reps who are Michael Jordans that are so naturally talented that you think they're going to be a great manager, but they're not able to articulate what they're doing. And those people oftentimes make the worst managers in the world. And Rebecca, a rep comes to you and they're like, hey, I want to be a manager. Are there other types of questions that you should be asking them or ways that you suss out if this person is really qualified to be in leadership or not? Yeah. And I learned it from Mark because he asked me these questions. And to be completely honest, I knew that he would. So I think it's really interesting. If you are a really successful rep and you want to make the move to manager, understanding why is super important because you are going to make less money. You are going to work way harder and you are not going to see your name in lights anymore. So (laughs) why do you want to do it? Great sell. (laughs) Why? (laughs) And I think that when Mark and I talked about it, I was prepared. I knew that was coming. I knew he was going to be like, why? Why would you want to do that? And so I asked that question a lot. And I think you also have to assess, can they be fine celebrating other success or do they have to be celebrated? And there are some reps that have to be celebrated. And if that is the case, like management is not for them. Being the silent hero is not it for a lot of people. I completely agree where a lot of people think that because you're higher up in the organization, you have a bigger number of people under your belt, all that stuff, right? You would think that your name would be in lights more. But what oftentimes happens is it's actually your job to not be in the lights. It's your job to let the reps be the hero. And what a lot of people don't realize is as a rep, you can do 200, 300%, two, three, four, five years in a row, and you're a hero. If you're a VP of sales or a CRO or director of sales, and you're doing 300% three years in a row, that means you're a sandbagger and your target needs to go up, right? So you're in this inevitable game of constantly chasing your tail and not being allowed to take the limelight too much. And so, Rebecca, I'm curious for you, let's say that this conversation happens and you find someone who's willing to say, okay, I really love the developing of people. I get off on breaking things down. It gets me really excited to see people light up and whatnot. And you're like, okay, this person is doing it for the right reasons. 
Talk to me about what do the next 6, 12, 18, however many months look like to prepare this person to be a manager, whether that's an interview process, training, mentoring. How do you create a little bit of a smooth on-ramp so that someone's not just going from closing to managing immediately? I mean, I think mentoring is a great way to do it. I know a lot of really strong leaders that Mark knows as well have done this. I'm going to go and act as if I do the job before I have it and show that I can and that I'm capable. I also think getting people to understand that the goal is actually to scale your impact versus be the one making the ultimate impact. And I think you can do that by pulling them into, you know, internal discussions around, hey, we've got this issue. Like, how would you think about solving it? We'd love your opinions. And pulling them into some leadership team meetings so that they can start to see how these discussions happen. You get a sense for how do they think? How do they operate? Are they thinking about the bigger picture? When I first moved into management, I was still hyper-focused on my territory. I still had rep mindset for like at least the first six months. My territory, this is mine. Why is one of my team's accounts being worked by somebody else? (laughs) And it takes a while to shift your mindset to, hey, my job is no longer to serve me, but to serve the business. Selfish reps are very good for a business. Selfish managers are very bad for business. Ooh, yikes. That's a take. It's so true, though. Your perspective has a shift, and it's a real transition in thinking. That's why great reps don't always make great leaders. That's right. Well, Rebecca, Mark, this was an outstanding show, and I love being able to see the leader, manager, turning into a manager, all of that different dynamic between you two. But we have to end, unfortunately. Rebecca, the way that we end every show is we've talked about a lot of good habits of great sales leaders. We're going to talk about a bad one. So if there were one bad habit that every sales leader in the world should break tomorrow in your eyes, what should that be? I think it's the over-indexing on deal updates. When your SVP is asking reps and their manager is asking reps and the director is asking the rep, something's broken. At some point, you have created a level of management for a reason. You got to fix that. Yeah, I think the most draining thing on an individual and I think the thing that strains a sales organization is when you have endless leaders reaching out directly to reps on deal updates and strategy updates as opposed to just fixing the line of communication internally. I completely agree. I would like to focus on doing the work instead of describing the work far more as a leader. (laughs) Already, Rebecca, awesome show. Everyone hang on for a 60-second Mark and Mondo recap coming up soon. Cheers, folks. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? 
Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. All righty, Mark. What'd you think? Well, first of all, so what, Armand? No, just joking. (laughs) Listen, I think that the biggest thing that I've always known about Rebecca is her ability to have this superpower to ask tough questions. And you can see exactly in this episode why she's so good at that. She comes to the call ready with what the friction, what she needs to ask, and she just asks it right up front. And I think that that's an amazing way to approach how do you get people when it's so tough right now to do deals, to be thinking about what's the friction I need to get through and can we help them get through that or not? One thing that I love, and I've seen this as a pattern with you as well, Mark, is the ask is to come prepared with your best plan to beat up your own deal first. And then I'm just going to ask you the questions to poke holes in your bulletproof plan. And what that does is it gives the rep ownership of it. And it sets the expectation that they come prepared with their plan instead of asking you, what should I do with this deal? And then all you're doing is just poking holes, bulletproof testing it. And that's something that both of you have in common. And I think she has some amazing things around just battle testing her reps by asking them the hard questions that they need to ask their prospects in return. In the end, somebody has to ask somebody else hard questions. You can ask them of your buyer first or their CFO can ask them of them first. And typically whoever asks first is going to have a better chance at getting what they want out of it. And I'm telling you right now that CFO is a CF no right now. He wants or she wants to say no. So you better be asking your buyer first to have a chance to get to say yes. (laughs) Alrighty, folks, stick around for the next episode of 30 MPC Leadership Edition. Cheers, folks. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes.